according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs 15 once again, uh, almost to the end of Proverbs 15. Looking down here at uh, a series of maxims on the blessings of humble community. Really verses 25 through 33 demonstrate not only the benefits of wisdom and uh, the contrast of foolishness is true in all of Proverbs, but really in stressing the, the, the placement of these things in a home context. The context of home, of family, of community. And uh, the benefits that we have there as we've seen in tearing down the house of the proud and establishing the boundary of the widow. When you have terms like house and boundary, we're talking in a context, in a setting. The setting for these verses is in a community of uh, of faith, a community of brothers and sisters that, that love the Lord, that love the Word of God. And so they have personal and public wisdom that saturates their community. And that's uh, a benefit and a blessing here. So uh, we'll pick up on where we left off from last week. Before we do, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father's blessing upon our time of study. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together this morning. The uh, blessing that Wednesday is, Father, I, I enjoy the midweek both morning and evening we have opportunities to assemble and study and, and uh, fellowship one with another, encourage one another in, in so many ways. So Father, use this time now to build us up in the faith and strengthen us in the inner man. Feed our souls, Father, that we might live a life that's honoring to our Savior. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I didn't write down the slide number here, so we'll just manually hunt for it. It is... There. All right. Proverbs 15 closes with a series of maxims on the blessing of humble community. And we see, again, the placement of wisdom within community as we edify one another, as we encourage one another, as we rebuke one another. And, uh, and we see this within the boundaries of, of, of a land grant, within uh, under a, uh, a roof, as it were. Again, starting with verse 25. The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but He will establish the boundary of the widow. And then uh, in verse 27, He who profits illicitly troubles His own house. And so we have the repeat of the house. And then we have throughout uh, all of these verses, we have a dynamic whereby somebody is ministering to somebody else, such as the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer in verse 28, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And so there's interpersonal communication that's happening, interpersonal relationships that are happening. And that also is a dynamic that happens within boundaries and within uh, a house setting. Same thing with uh, intimacy. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. Uh, Verse 30, bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. And family, community, this is the the venue whereby these kind of encouragements can happen. Do you think these encouragements are going to happen in the workplace? Uh, You know, well, I hope you have a good workplace for that. Or uh, these kind of encouragements are going to happen in uh, in, uh, your business dealings or in in public life, in uh, the political realm. You know, in, in what sphere of existence do we find 
the, uh, the, the best possible places to encourage others, to be encouraged by others, to serve others, to be served by others. It's going to be in the, in the, the, the setting of, of family, of home, of, of where we live. See, And so that's why we want to be living in the Word of God and in, in living in the Word of God those we live with can be living with the Word of God and all of this then becomes a blessing for us. I think um, some of this, um, if some of this sounds alien, uh, I think it's because our culture has lost a lot of this in, in mod- the modern world and in the sense that we don't live in a tribal clannish type realm whereby uh, you know, we have our home, we have our household that is the nuclear family whereby we have uh, you know, a marriage and maybe some kids. But then beyond that, in terms of clan and tribe and the interactions between the extended family, and some, some have that and some don't. And uh, sometimes you have an extended family, uh, you know who they are, you can draw them on a family tree, but honestly there's no fellowship, there's no concord, there's no because it's light and darkness. When you stretch out that family tree to whatever length, some of those cousins are hostile to the Word of God. They're hostile to, to Christianity. And, uh, and so that's where you find, uh, even though we've, uh, in the modern world and in the church age, that we're no longer in a clan, tribe circumstance like the, the covenant nation of Israel. We're from every, every nation, every clan, every tribe. We're the no, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female, no bond, no free. So what we have in place of what the Old Testament had, we have community with one another in the body of Christ. I've got more brothers than, than you know, a human mother could birth, <laughs> right? You know, I pity the human mother that tries to have the thousands of, of children that, that I have as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is, this is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. So we'll, uh, we'll deal with these aspects of community and realize that, that when you can have them under your roof, when you can have them in your home, that's just grace upon grace. And when you can't have them under your roof, you can't have them in your own home, then you do have them in your church home. You have them in your church family. And this is where the, the fellowship happens here. So that, uh, th- that's good to keep track of as we work our way through. All right, and so we have this idea starting with home building and these home building endeavors. Um, in subpoint A, home building endeavors must include the Lord. And the idea when it says evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure, that the idea of evil plans in a home context, in a family context, you realize that this really uh, drives an awful lot of carnality. This drives an awful lot of selfish ambition. That, um, of course, Psalm 127.1 is... Uh, Solomon's. So not only did he write Proverbs 15, but he wrote Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Talk about spinning your wheels and not accomplishing anything. It, it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. And, and realizing that if you're doing all this without the Lord, if you're struggling to advance without the Lord and, and you're pouring in more overtime than any five of your coworkers, but if the Lord's not in that, what are you really doing? Okay? So it's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. And you realize, you know what? 
I need to be His beloved. I need to be in the Word of God. I need to be in fellowship with the Lord. And then I can operate based on His schedule, not mine. And that means I rest when He tells me to rest. That means I work when He tells me to work. And I might, I might still be working overtime, but they're not painful labors anymore because I'm in fellowship with Him and I'm doing what He has for me to do. And I'm resting when He tells me to rest. And so to make income even while you're sleeping, uh, to accept in the grace of God, He gives to His beloved even in His sleep that God gives you everything, including money, including peace of mind, including uh, uh, encouragement, including all the things He gives you. And, and see, some people don't appreciate the whole spectrum of everything God gives because they're so busy just chasing money, chasing money, chasing money, as if that's the only thing God provides. In any event, you can profit in many ways when you're not profiting financially. And uh, that's what we see here in verse 2. And then children, behold children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so there's blessings there. Blessings not only to have children but the blessing and privilege of raising children, to train up a godly generation, to instill uh, the Word of God into their life at a young age and and to assure that in the next generation moving forward the Lord's going to have servants that are going to be engaged in ministry. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children's of one uh, the children of one's youth. And a lot of jokes on that. I don't know if it was Warren or somebody was saying it's, uh, you know, if if the arrow is in your hand, that means you haven't shot the shot the bow yet. You gotta you gotta shoot them. They gotta go somewhere. And <laughs> anyway, uh, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them? They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And so, and this is uh, the aspect here. And, and clearly the ancient world had much more of a regard for family and motherhood and so forth. The modern world is telling mothers that, you know, feminism is, is really destroying, I think, a lot of attitudes related to um, God's plan for family and for training up children and so forth. Almost insulting calling a homemaker, uh, you know, someone that didn't live up to their full potential or something of like that. It's just terrible. Uh, the message that uh, modern day feminism gives there. So here's the idea of home building. And home building is built in. And, and sadly though, it gets to the point in carnality where it gets abused, where it gets um, perverted like everything else Satan perverts. Uh, he takes something that God designs for beauty and then he perverts it. And so carnality wants to have a bigger house than the neighbor. Carnality wants to build a better, a better uh, uh, farm and a better uh, everything, right? It's all got to be bigger, better, more. And so the drive for bigger, better, more then uh, perverts uh, perspectives of grace, perverts priorities for the Word of God. You end up not satisfied. You're never satisfied with your barns, so got to tear down these barns and build bigger barns. Even though he has plenty, he has more than he needs, he has an abundance, he could be that the Lord put him in this position to be uh, uh, with a gift of giving, to be in a role of, of somebody that shares and supports others and, and blesses his community, that never crosses his mind. His whole idea is if I don't have barns big enough for everything, then I need bigger barns. Because the idea of giving some away or blessing others never crossed his mind. And that's what it should be in the, if we're in the, in the realm of community. So building a house without the Lord is laboring in vain and it's, uh, and it's sad. Some folks uh, adopt this though as their mode of immortality. They can live forever so long as their name lives forever. If they can invest their name in a 
in, in something. You know, they get a hospital named after them or a park named after them or whatever. Something carries their name forward. Their children, their grandchildren are carrying their name forward. So to them, that's immortality. What a pathetic carnal excuse because God gives us immortality by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. How about that? Let's go with that and, uh, and not fall for some of these other things. Verse 26, our greatest privileges from God include planning and communicating. So perversions of these great blessings are among the most severe abominations. When you look at Proverbs 15, not only verse 26, but verse 28 as well, comes up a couple of times in this, in this section. Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure. So there's a tandem, planning and communicating. And uh, here you are making plans, but you're making the wrong kind of plans. You're uh, scheming instead of, instead of uh, planning in wisdom. Verse 28 as well, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. And so you're planning, you're planning a gracious response. You're planning an edifying communication. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Uh, They just spew forth whatever their evil heart wants to spew forth. They're not going to think it through. They're not going to plan it. They're certainly not going to craft their expressions with wisdom so as to be a blessing to the hearer. So both 26 and 28 are addressing this. And, and two, we've, we've addressed this. If we went back, uh, there was a series of classes in chapter 6, you might recall, where we discussed what, a, what an honor it is to be human. <laughs> what an honor it is to be created in the image and likeness of God. To have the capacity we have for rational thought. The capacity we have to reason through. And then the capacity we have to verbally express our thoughts. It is, it's, it's marvelous in the realm of humanity, far more than any, and this is where I make animal rights people upset, but far more than any animal communication. And I get that. Cats meow, dogs bark, um, dolphins do that ee thing, all right? They, they, they can squeak, they can chirp, they can do stuff. And in so doing, they have an animalistic communication, right? Which is... I hate you, go away, or I, I lust after you, let's make babies, or, or whatever. They, they communicate on an animalistic basis. They would never fellowship in the Word of God, in the deep things of Scripture. They would never come alongside. Now, they can have an animalistic nurturing and an animalistic comfort, but they would never come alongside with a scriptural rebuke or the promise of God. They can't give you the comfort that the Word of God can give you. All right, And that's what this is about. When we have the blessings to think, to plan, to, to have, again, if evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, we're expected to use our thinking faculties to plan ahead of time. We're expected to use our thinking faculties to be forward-focused in our planning. Our Father's a planner. So if we're going to be a fellow worker with God the Father, what does that mean about us? Does he expect us to just kind of wing it and not plan anything and, and not think things through before we come alongside a brother and tell him what, not what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear? Okay? So I got a, I got a brother that needs a rebuke. How am I going to give that? I better put some thought into it. I better plan it out. I better pray over it and consider. How is it that my words are going to be 
a blessing and are going to be edifying. Pleasant words are pure, as it says in the second part of, of verse 26. And uh, again, verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked just pours out evil things. It's like a spigot that you turn it on, you broke the handle off, it's not going to stop. It just keeps pouring forth just filth. Do you remember this uh, impact that we had in, in Proverbs chapter 6? All the things that he hates. <laughs> Six things the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. And given that we are now in chapter 15 centering on home and family and community, um, I don't know that we stressed it like that in, in chapter 6, and yet you'll notice number seven, the pinnacle, it centers on community, centers on home, because it's one who spreads strife among brothers. And so obviously I think we've got a, a great link here in between chapter 6 and chapter 15 just uh, for this reason alone. But six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. A haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, but then notice, a heart that devises wicked plans. So there's planning and intentions, see. And, and intentions, God holds us accountable for the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Intentions. These are the things that um, I think they're, they're deep. I think they're deep in Scripture. I think they're deep in science. This is something that, uh, that scientists wrestle with because they can't answer uh, the, the, in the mind-body dilemma, they can't answer. They can find the brain, but then the brain is different from the mind. And is it is it purely chemical? Is it purely uh, you know natural naturalistic in in terms of well, what about states of intention? What about um, the whole idea of about things that you're talking about, thinking about, dreaming about, imagining about? And so the aboutness of the mind is. Uh, is, is such a powerful thing that even atheistic uh, scientists and philosophers, they can't explain it with just the brain function alone. They cannot explain it with brain function alone. And so I posted a Facebook article the other day about that and it was a fun thing to read through because the guy wasn't coming from a biblical perspective at all. He just says the brain is not the mind, that they're different and uh, there's got to be a reason why they're different. And, uh, and articles like that excite me. All right. So you get uh, plans, a heart that devises wicked plans, and the blessing we have to be planners. And, uh, and even if we change our plans and adjust our plans and then throw them out and go with God's plan, we still want to be planning along the way so that we are fellow workers with Him. Feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. And all of these are objects of God's anger, God's wrath, uh, calls them abominations, in the Tokneva abomination principle there, that um, God wants nothing to do with it. So let's, uh, let's ask ourselves in our community, whether that's our home, our, our nuclear family, our extended family, our church family, in, uh, in our community, um, are we planners? Are we communicators? And how do we, how do we exercise that in wisdom so that we can edify one another? And, uh, and who knows? This might even be a venue for evangelism if you have a chance to talk to an unbeliever about this kind of thing. And if, um, if uh, you have a chance to express truth as a witness and as a testimony, then an unbeliever may 
come to you and say, well, where do you learn that? Where do you, where do you get that attitude? Where do you get that perspective kind of a thing? Why? Um, um, and then pray for me because I've got a ministry doing that thing right now with a non-Christian right now who uh, admitted words are powerful. Yes, words are powerful. And here's why. And uh, because you can do so much damage with the wrong words, but you can give such blessing with the right words. And that's not an accident, okay? And, and Big Bang can't explain that, but uh, Scripture can. All right. So, um, you know, however you want to run your marriage, however you want to run your parenting, however you want to run your house, um, these are the verses that show us the benefits of wisdom in community, the, the, the blessings of humble community, whereby we really we view ourselves as the servants of the, the, the other members of our community. So I want to be my brother's keeper. I want to be the encourager. I, I want to be the peacemaker in the home. I, wanna be, I don't want to be the one that's uh, you know, always causing the turmoil and the trouble and always uh, you know, causing people to cringe because uh, you know, dad's going on a rant again. Here we go. No, I want to be the peacemaker in the home. All right. Boy, this is a convicting message. Let's get past this verse. Um, all right. Where does this stuff come from? So the Lord will tear down the house of the proud. What is it that blows up a marriage? What is it that ends a family? Evil plans are an abomination of the Lord. Pleasant words are pure. Is this a home where the word of God is spoken? He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. If you're going to try to cheat for income, if you're going to try to um, you know, steal, you say, well, I was just trying to pay for my kids' food. I, you know, I had noble, noble motives for why I was engaged in a criminal enterprise. You know, no. God wouldn't have you do that. You know, the ends don't justify the means. God always expects you to do the right thing in the right way. The wages of unrighteousness are costly to the soul. Understand that. The wages of unrighteousness are costly to the soul. So if you're going to profit illicitly, if you're going to do something that defies the Word of God just because you're trying to bring money in and build your house up, God doesn't honor that. What is that? Not only does God not honor that, you are literally bringing destruction to your own soul in these things. Costly, very costly. You realize, I'm going to pay a price for this. Yeah, it's a price you don't want to pay. Not in the short term, not in the long term, not in the eternal scale of things, of course not. So um, the idea of, of a bribe, you know, all i got to do is i just got to... Um, you know, I can take this money, I can look the other way, it doesn't hurt anything, does it? I mean, who gets hurt? You know, so they, they, uh, the world creates these ideas like a victimless crime. Oh, it's a victimless crime, doesn't hurt anybody. Why not do it? Oh, it hurts the participants, you're hurting yourself. You're buying into Satan's lie. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. Do you remember this in, uh, back in chapter 1? You, try to, you train your children with this in parental wisdom and then you've got to be reminded of it in personal and public wisdom. Realize the uh, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not consent. That's Proverbs 1.10. If they say, come with us, lie in, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Doesn't that sound fun? 
<laughs> well, no, doesn't sound fun to me, doesn't sound fun hopefully to any of us. That's, that, that has no appeal to someone that's, you know, walking with the Lord and has divine viewpoint in life. What, what, is, the, what is the attraction to victimizing somebody? What is that? And yet, it's not hard to grab a mob and go stir up some trouble. You know, you're mad at whatever, so let's join the protest and let's do some public damage and let's, uh, we're really going to teach them a lesson. So let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause, let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. So how do you, how do you swallow somebody alive? How do you make them wish they were dead? You know, they're still alive, but it's as if they're in Sheol already because their life is hell, you know. And uh, you, you publicly crucify somebody and make their life a wreck, and that's uh, just terrible. But we get something out of it, so that's why we're doing it. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. You know, and, and sometimes I think, hey, we can, we can damage this and damage this, and, you know, they've got deep pockets, they can afford it. Or they're insured, you know, they're insured, it's not going to cost them anything, it doesn't hurt them. So I can steal this car and I can fence this uh, stolen property and I can do this and whatever. And no one really gets hurt or, you know, because they're insured. Or the insurance company, but man, they're ripping us off anyway. They, uh, the insurance company's got money to spare. And so they, they justify all these things. And the best part is, in the carnal mindset, we make out like bandits. We make all this kind of money. This is great. Throw in your lot with us, we shall all have one purse. Sounds like uh, a socialist endeavor or some kind of a communist movement. <laughs> but hey, let's all do this together. We'll all be one for all and all for one. And, and uh, yeah, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. In fact, don't go with them. Don't even you know, stay out of that part of town. Their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. Makes sense. If the bird's watching you, they don't put the bait out there yet. Wait till the bird's not watching and then put the bait out. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. That's the truth of it. You're damaging your own soul. Here they are hunting, but they're hunters of themselves. Because uh, when, they, when they spring the trap, who gets hurt? They do. It's their own blood. If uh, you know, God is the God, he said life is in the blood and if man sheds blood, by man his blood must be shed. There's an avenger, the blood avenger for this. And, and uh, so if they take blood, who are they really hurting? Themselves. And they ambush their own nefesh, their own uh, souls, their own lives. So, and so the damage that gets done to your soul, and I tell you, you can be scarred, you can uh, get so hard-hearted that the next time is easier, the next time is easier, you do it enough and you don't even think about it anymore. It's just normal for you now. Because uh, you become, I mean, your humanity is stripped away at a certain point. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the nefesh, it takes away the soul of its possessors. And so here we have it. You know, the Bible has all this wisdom and the blessings we have to use um, biblical norms and standards, to use biblical um, methods, doing the right thing for the right reasons, 
giving us the standards of what is not normal for the fallen humans because this fallen world is, is all about might makes right and if, you, if it feels good, do it and if you can get away with it, why not? And, uh, and uh, the, the, the tyranny of the, of the, of the strong, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's the world's methods and we want no part of that. The idea of gaining by not violence, well how can I do that? How can I gain by not violence? How about work hard? <laughs> how about produce an abundance? And then how about free trade with your abundance? So that not only do you gain, but then you multiply the gain. You actually multiply in the win-win of free trade. And so, uh, I mean, morally, for, for goods and services to, to be obtained, you can do so by force or by trade or by theft. Is, is there another means? Okay. I'm quoting Walter Williams, he's my favorite economist. Um, but, you know, force or trade or theft, what are you going to do? Some people prefer that they use government to apply the force, they feel cleaner that way. It's still theft, it's still force. If you get government to steal on your behalf, it's still force. No, the idea of freely you give, freely you receive, freely you give, you get to be an imitator of the Father who freely gives, an imitator of the Son who freely gives, and says, this is mine and I want to offer it to you. Here's my $5 and I'd really like to have your cheeseburger. And, and He freely gives it to you for what you've freely given Him and it's a free exchange. And it's a win-win. I have profited and they have profited. It's a marvelous plan. And it's laid out there in the Scriptures and this is why Satan hates it and why he promotes communism, why he promotes everything that's anti-Scripture. So, there you have it. How about waging war against the soul in, in uh, 2 Peter 2.15? There's an expression in the New Testament that relates to this. And um, called the wages of unrighteousness. And you think um, the rise of these false prophets and, and the sad thing is, is that these false prophets are popular. They get a huge following. There's a ton of people that will abuse themselves under these kind of snakes. False prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you. So if you're going to be a New Testament believer, learn from the Old Testament and see those false prophets were so destructive. It's worse in the church age with false teachers. And um, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And we've got to be on guard against this. Pastors don't just let anybody take their pulpit. They, they're very careful with who teaches and what they teach, and, and uh, they have to defend the flock. But notice, many will follow their sensuality. Many will follow their sensuality. Why? Because you get people, like Philippians 3 says, their God is their belly. Their God is their appetite. And the, the, the snake oil that they're selling uh, has, a, has an attractiveness to it. it. It's pleasant to the senses. Eye, ear, nose, touch. It's all, it doesn't have to be sexual sensuality. It could be any kind of a sensuality. Saying. And uh, this ministry is pleasing. Wow. You know, the, the man is attractive or he speaks well or his words are soothing or... or uh, or 
man, I'm a member of this thriving church and there's a status to that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm honored in the community because I'm a part of this, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the biggest church in town or the biggest church in the country or there's a status that goes with that. And so that becomes sensual. But because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Why, why do these ministries thrive? At the core, it's greed. But it works. Oh, it works. Because greed appeals to the carnal man. And, uh, and being exploited, yeah. But they put up with that. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. And then here's all these examples, all right? The angels when they sinned. God didn't spare them. Uh, the ancient world, but preserved Noah, brought a flood upon the whole earth. Sodom and Gomorrah, if he, con- he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. These are all the examples. Learn from these examples. He rescued uh, righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Sometimes you end up living in a place that not fun to live in. Like, who wants to live in Austin anyway? <laughs> Some of my Facebook friends were asking, why do you live in Austin? Well, <clears throat> I don't actually. I live across the county line in unincorporated Williamson County. For now, Austin has tried to annex us, but they can't, we, not without us voting approval. All right. Let me get past that. I'm headed for verse 15 ultimately. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So you don't have to go that way. If you're surrounded by it, get out of there. If it's your leadership, get rid of it. Don't stand for that. And then trust in the Lord to, uh, to get you where you need to be. Uh, but here's the unrighteous under punishment, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. I tell you, this is Peter's commentary on Philippians 3, if nothing else is. Those, those, those walkers that walk, whose God is their belly, who set their mind on earthly things, their end is destruction. I wonder if Peter had just read Philippians 3 before he wrote this. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. And um, Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Even the archangel Michael wouldn't rebuke Satan like that. He'd just step back and say, the Lord rebuke you. You're in the Lord's hands. Verse 12, but these like unreasoning animals. Not my opinion, this is scripture. <laughs> okay? I like cats. Some people like dogs. I like hamsters, whatever. You can like different animals. Um, I don't like snakes. Um, but regardless of what animal you're looking at, whether you like them or not, they are unreasoning. They are unreasoning. They have an instinctive animalistic thought process, but it's not reasoned. And even the smartest of them that can problem solve and, you know, do little puzzles and things, it's not reason as in the image of God, we reason in the word of God. Born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. That's the judgment upon rebellion. That's the judgment upon when you go carnal and when you damage your soul to the point that now you are functionally animalistic. 
functionally animalistic. You realize that the hand of God judgment is uh, the hand of God in his judgment is coming upon you. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Oh, we're going to see this again. This is again Philippians. Reveling in the daytime and 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 uh, rejoicing in their in their sin. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Boasting in their darkness. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. It just doesn't stop. You do it once, you do it twice, now you can't stop. You're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. It's more enslaving than drugs. You're just doing it and doing it and doing it. Your mind is given over to the darkness. And, and it never stops because even if you're not literally doing it, you're still thinking about doing it and you're planning the next time you can do it. Enticing unstable souls. That's the, like we said, you do damage to your own soul. Having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam. Remember that example in, with the donkey and the uh, story there in Numbers? Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So ask yourself, this is a good expression, the wages of unrighteousness, or if you like uh, filthy lucre, if you want the King James Elizabethan language of filthy lucre. Um, Just think about it though. The money you're making, is God pleased with it? Are you walking in grace, accepting His grace provision? Then great. You're walking in grace, accepting His grace provision. But if you're walking in darkness and manipulating things and you're, you're making money hand over fist in a, in a way that does not honor Jesus Christ, it's called the wages of unrighteousness. And it's damaging to your own soul. It, it's destructive to your house. It's going to impact your children. They're going to, they're going to take it far further than you ever dreamed of taking it. Because well, well, why shouldn't they? Dad did it. And they just carry it forward in their generation. And so that becomes a, uh, a bless, a, uh, an issue as well. All right. The wages of unrighteousness are costly to the soul. Verse 27, I think, lays that out there. All right. Sin creates an obstacle for our prayer life. In verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears the prayer of the righteous. Now this too is a, it's an overall principle that's true in any context and we can apply it in a lot of ways. We can apply it in a lot of places. But taking it into the, into the realm of family, taking it into the domain of, of your home life, your family life and where you live, um, consider the uh, application of these principles in that kind of a scope where the Lord is far from the wicked but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Is this a family that prays? Is this a family that doesn't pray? Is the Lord near? Is the Lord far? Um, <clears throat> does the Lord feel at home in, in this home? Or does He feel a little awkward and out of place because the members of this home really talk about Him and really think about Him and, and uh, never, never eat together, never pray together, never discuss one another's struggles, never are completely oblivious to, uh, to things that are going on with one another? Well, then I'd say that's a home where the Lord is far. But if the Lord is near, then that means there's involvement. That means there's awareness. That means there's concern one for another. And so we understand if someone's having a bad day or someone's having a good day or someone's uh, apprehensive about something that's coming up, 
And so we can join in those things together in, in, in uh, community, in being able to bless one another in this way. The problem, though, is sin. Sin creates an obstacle for our prayer life. And if you've got a brother that's hurting, and, and because, you know, you grew up this way, you know the language, you can speak the language, even when you're carnal. You can, uh, your brother's hurting, you can say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. No, you're not. Don't lie to him like that. You've been carnal for the last six weeks. What, do you, what, do you, what kind of prayers are you going to offer for this brother? This brother needs it, and you can't pray for him, even though you just told him you were. All right? Because sin creates an obstacle for our prayer life. It creates a barrier. God won't listen to your prayers in that darkness. The only thing God's listening for is for you to confess. And he's listening, he's listening. Oh, that's not a confession, forget that. Listen, listen. No, that's not confession, forget that. Okay? He does not hear what you're yapping at him when you're carnal. And this is, uh, this is huge. Okay? Um, he's far. He's far away. And who put that distance in there? <laughs> okay? Because he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, but now there seems to be some distance now he seems to be nowhere near here. Well, who moved? It wasn't him. When, whenever that rift appears, it's because you left the light and went off into darkness, went into carnality. And you put that distance there. You put that distance. See, Psalm 66. I love Psalm 66. In verse 18, you know, it's, it's curious. Uh, verse 8 says, bless our God, O peoples. So here's a Jewish prayer inviting Gentiles to join and uh, to bless our God, the Jewish God, course, is the God of Israel. O peoples, sound His praise abroad. And any nation that's got Jewish people living there is going to be a nation that can be blessed by association when people with truth can tell them about the Lord God of the universe. Who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men right over our heads we went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. See, some through the fire, some through the flood, some through the something, but all through the blood. Anyway, there's hymns that come out of this. And so here's a thanksgiving. God is a God of faithfulness. And sure, we get tested, but there's another side of the test. And we get through, and now we want everybody to worship with us. Don't we have a great God? Do you want to hear about the God that got me through the last you know, test I went through? Because he's the same God that's going to get me through this next one coming up, or the one I'm in the middle of right now. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows. I don't want people to come with me. I want to invite people to church. Not because I think i got a cool church, I think it's because i got a great God. And I want them to learn more about Him, and my church is a place where they can learn more about Him. I shall pay my vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. <laughs> Do you make some vows when you're in trouble? Like, Lord, just get me out of this and I'll, you know. The thing is, those can be very carnal vows. You can promise a lot of stuff. 
when you're, you're begging God to bail you out of this, whatever it is. Well, guess what? Those are vows. And the God of truth hears every vow. And you better fulfill what you done said. Okay? I shall, and Jesus even made vows while He was on the cross. Psalm 22 uses this language as well. So my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I shall make an offering of bowls with male goats. Salah. Come and hear all who fear God. Come and hear. This is an invitation to be exposed to truth. This is my witness, my testimony as to how the God of faithfulness has blessed me. I will tell you what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth and He was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So keep in mind, item number one, any, any uh, you know, that's why Colonel Theme always taught that, the doctrine of rebound and the confession better be the first thing. Better be the first thing out of your mouth. Because until you confess, none of the other prayers, you know, until you confess, you can't regard iniquity in your heart. And so, uh, because if I regard in wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Not cannot hear, will not hear. He chooses not to listen because you're out of fellowship. What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? You, you got stuff you want Him to hear, but He doesn't want to listen to it until you're in fellowship. That's what He hears. And then He loves to hear. And then He's going to provide. He's going to provide more than you could ask or think because you're in fellowship. Certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. So if you're, if you're mad at God for not listening to your prayer, well then whose fault is that? Why is He not listening? Blessed be God who has not turned away from my prayer nor His chesed, His loving kindness from me. This is so vital, alright? Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. Because you know, you can be carnal for weeks and months and years and you can be very religious when you're carnal. And you make God want to puke. Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 15. He starts name calling here. He calls them Sodom. He calls them Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Isaiah is actually ministering in Jerusalem. <laughs> but he's calling them these names. That's an attention getter. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Now they're very religious. They're offering all of these sacrifices. They're even multiplying the sacrifices. They're going above and beyond. And there's nothing wrong with bulls, lambs, or goats. The Scriptures command bulls, lambs, and goats in an Old Testament context. They were expected to do this, but they're multiplying them as if that helps. Right? Well, gee, the law says for my trespass offering I have to give a goat. I'm going to go ahead and give three goats. That'll impress God. (laughs) In fact, I'm going to give ten goats. God will know that way. God will know I'm really, really religious. I'm really, really devout. I'm really, really sad about something. And uh, God says no. What, what use is it multiplying when you're in defiance of the reality that that ritual represents? It's the reality. 
This offering is a picture of Christ. It's an anticipation that Jesus is going to bear your sins on the cross. You're going to live in defiance of that? I don't care what you multiply your sacrifices with. All right. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Every time I think of that, I think of tracking mud through my mother's kitchen. (laughs) And hearing my mother say, who told you to track mud through my kitchen? It's like, and, and who told you to take your shoes off before you come in the back door or to wipe your shoes? You know, who told you to trample my kitchen? Or who requires of you this trampling of my courts? You're multiplying your sacrifices, but what you're doing is you're bringing mud through the temple. You're trampling His courts in the heavenly places, right? Because the earthly thing was just a replica of the heavenly. You're defiling this. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Worthless. You can imagine the guy saying, but, but, but I brought five of them. That cost me a lot of money. Worthless. Bring 105, I don't care. They're worthless. Incense is an abomination to me. Tokneva, abomination. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. So take verse 13, put it side by side with, uh, with Psalm 66, 18. These are the things God cannot do when we're carnal. He won't listen to us. He won't endure our religiosity because it's phony and He's disgusted with it. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. And yet, you, you talk to these universalists and they want to say, well, God brings everybody to heaven. Nobody goes to hell. Are you kidding? Why would He bring those sinners to heaven? I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. See, God's guilty of a hate crime here. I hate your new moon festivals. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. We would say he's fed up, right? He's had it up to here. All that religion is is useless. And so um, it's an abomination. He can't avoid it. He can't uh, abide it. He can't endure it. He hates it. He's weary. One of these expressions is an expression of vomit. And uh, he just makes him want to puke. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. There's only one thing he wants to hear from you, and that's your confession. And so he says in verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil. And it's not just a verbal confession either where you have every intention to keep doing the same thing over and over again. It is a true homologeo agreement. You are in agreement as you confess and you are confessing and forsaking as Proverbs 28 says. Confess and forsake. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. You see the context for this comes back to community again. The, the widow, the orphan, community. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Isn't this beautiful? Our capacity to reason in the image of God. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Okay, and don't get me wrong. I love cats. I've had cats all my life until I met Sharon. 
then she's allergic to cats. So, oh well, so much for cats. I'd rather get married to you. <clears throat> and 10,000 days ago we did. We got married and I haven't, well, no, we tried a, cat, a kitten one time. That didn't last. So, um, but no cat, even the best cat I've ever seen my entire life, and no dog, even the best dog I've ever seen my entire life, can reason with me over the plan of salvation and the grace of Jesus Christ who took my place on the cross. Scripture says, come now, let us reason together. Okay, this is our privilege, this is our joy. Ezekiel 8.18, real quickly get through this. I know we want to be punctual. And you can read the whole chapter if you want, but it ends with verse 18. Therefore I indeed will deal in wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor will I spare. Though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not listen to them. Will not. Will not. See, some people, if you can't, uh, you know, if you can't reason, then cry. If you can't draw somebody to pity to get your way, well then try volume, go loud. (laughs) If, uh, (laughs) you know, if logic doesn't work, try emotion. If that doesn't work, go for volume. Just do what you can. God says, I'm not listening. And for church age, Melchizedek priest, carnality suspends our status as the house of God. Remember we dealt with this in Hebrews 3 verses 1 through 6. Whose house we are if. You want to be the house of God? In other words, do you want to be the functioning temple of, uh, of, of the Holy Spirit that we are in Christ? Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. This is a priestly house, a house of worship. For he has been counted more glory than Moses by, uh, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. And all the foreshadowing and all the typology that Moses revealed, all of that was pointing ahead to Christ. We have the reality. Christ was faithful as a son over his house. And so this is our position in Christ, in the house as a place of worship, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. But if you're not walking in the light, if you're walking in darkness, if you're not holding fast this confidence, we're not the house of God. We're not functioning in our Melchizedek priesthood. Remember, the house of God in this chapter, the house of God here, this is our function as the household of God, the the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we lose that. We don't lose salvation, but we lose our status as the functioning temple in worshiping God the Father through the apostle and high priest of our confession, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. So don't harden your heart. Carnality puts a barrier between you and God. Sin creates an obstacle for our prayer life. Sin revokes our status as the house of God. We're supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't function when we're in carnality. We're still a living stone, choice and precious in the sight of God. We can't, we can't throw away our salvation. We can't lose our eternal life. 
but as, as a stone choice and precious in the sight of God that's being fit together with those other stones, guess what? Carnality rips us right out of that whole temple. We are not functioning as a, as a temple, as believer priests, when we're carnal. There's just no way we can. All right, so this becomes a vital issue here. Well, that's uh, as far as we're going to get today. We'll pick up on this next week, uh, returning back. I think there's 30, 31, 32, 33. And uh, maybe I'm not going to make any predictions of how many Wednesdays it's going to take to do that, but um, we're close. All right, maybe next week. How about that? Thank you, Father, for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for these reminders. And Father, I don't know, maybe there was nothing said today that was brand new to anybody. But all of these principles are worth reviewing and repeating and and refreshing. I pray that we would be convicted as it pertains to prolonged carnality and the damage that it can do. And we might keep short accounts and we might stay in fellowship so as to continue in our priestly service as unto you. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.